Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. It's a beautiful summer day in these United States of America. We are lucky. We are so blessed to live in this country in this time. Just thought it would start there since you could read Newsbusters and think, Wow, everything with you guys is wine, wine, wine. Yes, everything's always going wrong. Well, we can slog through all this media stuff and still feel sunny about America. Just not the America you see there. Now, I grabbed my Sunday Washington Post, and in the back of their Post magazine was a column by Damon Young. In that space, he replaced Gene Weingarten, the so-called humorist who wrote so-called humor, in about the same vein as Jimmy Kimmel. Neither of them could find anything the slightest bit funny about Hunter Biden. Yes, Weingarten thought it was great to imagine Dick Cheney carrying around a satchel of human heads. That somehow was endlessly funny. But Damon Young has called himself a professional black person. And this latest column underlined it. The headline, someone gave our daughter a white doll. How do we, um, disappear it? Oh, it's a crisis. It's an identity politics crisis. Damon Young says, two months ago, When my wife and I noticed that our six-year-old daughter was playing with a white baby doll with long blonde hair, our immediate thought was, wait, where did that come from? And then after watching her dote on it for two days, our thoughts shifted. So how do we get rid of it? Young said he and his wife don't agree on everything, as most married couples are, but we are mostly aligned on what's important. And few things matter more to us than our daughter loving her features, her hair, and her skin as much as we do. She's perceptive enough already to see and feel, even if she can't quite articulate it yet, how white beauty is considered the standard here in America. Yes, this part was the pull quote if you read the article online. White beauty is considered the standard. I don't know if that's true. If anybody's watching right now, all of the fangirling over Beyonce has a new album out. We're going to see quite a bit of that. Anyway, then Young claims that this thing is reinforced when she notices monochromatic magazine covers at a bookstore or watches advertisements during her favorite cartoons. I call baloney. Now, I didn't go to the bookstore today to see whether all the the magazine covers had white people on them. But I kind of doubt it. I think we all know, for example, at the Obama years, how many gushy covers we had of Barack and Michelle Obama. Sometimes together, sometimes one or the other. I don't think you can really argue that magazine covers are all white. And I certainly don't think you can argue right now that advertisements are all white. In fact, people sort of complain the other way. 
You know, certainly I think you've noticed this since the riotous summer of 2020. Advertisers have made a very conscious effort to have a lot of non-white people in advertisements. Now, there's no reason for the whites to panic. Oh, no, we're not in the ad selling the Big Mac. It's okay. Non-white people eat McDonald's. That's cool. I can identify with that. I don't find myself erased. But, you know, they should really be careful. You know, when you're accusing America of being totally white, does it actually hold up? Is this actually matching what we're seeing on TV? I say no. Then Damon Young says, it's made explicit each time her daughter hears dark and black thoughtlessly interchanged with bad. I don't know where that's coming from. It is waves and waves and waves pounding ashore. So we surround her with reinforcements, books and movies featuring little girls who look like her, intentional language of affirmation and pride. Again, there's nothing wrong. I completely understand offering your child affirmation and pride about their race and their appearance. Now, we all understand white people don't do that. I mean... (laughs) I really love your whiteness. But it's a little weird to say no white dollies ever. I think it's easily confused as racist. Damon Young continued, White dolls, though, we haven't officially banned them. There is no sign on our stoop saying no dogs or Malibu Barbies. But if we're at a store and the only dolls for sale are white, we'll just be leaving dollless that night. Our rationale is simple. The physiognomy of a baby doll represents what the person buying it considers to be precious. And a decision to gift a white doll to our daughter, who's already aware of the ceaseless cultural proselytization of Eurocentric beauty, could communicate to her that we value those features more than hers. Yes, this once again is completely exaggerating our culture. Just, I mean, just reading these words, the ceaseless cultural proselytization of Eurocentric beauty. Huh? I really don't think that's what you're seeing when you look at TV. I really don't think that's what you're seeing if you're looking at fashion magazines or women's magazines. I think everybody who works for fashions magazines or women magazines today is pretty woke. I think they're trying pretty hard. Maybe nobody can compete with Teen Vogue. That's like the Marxist revolution over there. So it continued. You know, I... I'm looking at this, and I was suggesting to Mrs. Graham that I was going to talk about this today. And uh, we were joking, you know, the Youngs could have left this white doll around for exercises. Look, child, we're teaching Daisy critical race theory. Yes, they named the doll Daisy, at least between the two of them. Teach the white doll critical race theory. Daisy now is confessing her white privilege. I just don't get it. Now, my boy Ben and my daughter grew up with a rainbow of friends, as skin colors go, from preschool forward. 
Now, I suppose us being cluelessly white and from Midwestern states with a lot of snow, we could be accused of not imbuing them with a racial consciousness. But we also didn't say, let's not, don't play with those boys. Why are you seeing those girls? There was none of that. There was no white supremacy. We might be accused of seeming <gasps> colorblind. Yes, colorblind's bad now. It's somehow, it's whites somehow maintaining their supremacy by saying skin color doesn't matter. You know, Martin Luther King had a dream where people wouldn't be judged by the color of their skin, but they, by the content of their character. Leftists like Damon Young at the Washington Post magazine don't like that. Michael Eric Dyson doesn't like that. Ellie Mistal, and we'll get to him later, doesn't like that. They want racial disharmony. They want racial dissatisfaction and anger, a rebellion or a revolution of, or something that sounds poetic. They want to fight. They want a culture war. Well, this story had a happy ending for the two parents. He writes, a few days after Daisy first conjured herself into our home, we just stopped seeing her around. No more Daisy at dinner or on the drive to school. Daisy was gone. Our daughter was back to playing with her LOL surprise dolls. Then he ended this piece by saying he and his wife weren't talking to each other about what happened to Daisy. Maybe Daisy is floating down the river. She just disappeared exactly like they wanted. This tale of white doll trauma sounds like a recent claim by Ibram X. Kendi, not his real name, all about how Mr. Anti-Racism couldn't handle the thought of a white doll in his house. He wrote, Sadika and I were probably unduly sensitive about the whole situation. You think? But we wondered if our black child's attachment to a white doll could mean she had already breathed in what the psychologist Beverly Daniel Tatum has called the smog of white superiority. Smog. <laughs> Whatever this white superiority thing is, we're not preaching it. We're not pushing it. Now, back on St. Patrick's Day 2021, I wrote on Newsbusters about a piece by Mr. Damon Young. It was titled, Whiteness is a Pandemic. This was not a joke. I quoted from it back then on the podcast. Let's review. Damon Young began, Whiteness is a public health crisis. It shortens life expectancies. It pollutes air. It constricts equilibrium. It devastates forests. It melts ice caps. It sparks and funds wars. It flattens dialects. It infests consciousness. And it kills people. White people and people who are not white, my mom included, there will be people who die in 2050 because of white supremacy-induced decisions from 1850. Yeah, nobody fact-checks stuff like this. 
Whiteness is a public health crisis. Well, that's poetry. It's not a factual statement. It's just deeply felt. Damon Young's article at the time ended the same way. White supremacy is a virus that, like other viruses, will not die until there are no bodies left for it to infect. Which means the only way to stop it is to locate it, isolate it, extract it, and kill it. I guess a vaccine could work too, but we've had 400 years to develop one, so I won't hold my breath. Now, how does that not sound genocidal? White supremacy is a virus until there are no bodies left for it to infect. Doesn't that sound like white bodies to you? I think we could guess that's what it sounds like. It's one thing to say I need to teach my daughter to love herself as she is. That everybody can understand. It's another to teach that whiteness is a virus or a pandemic. That somehow whiteness does everything wrong on the planet Earth. And yet... The geniuses at the Washington Post magazine happily hired this guy to preach this racist stuff on Sundays. Speaking of racial hostility, let's talk about Tiffany Cross. Have you ever ran into this show on the weekends? Tiffany Cross. She's a lovely lady and she's crazy. She makes Joy Reid sensible. Well if you could actually do that. Uh, We noted that uh, there was a discussion here about Brittany Griner. Oh, but before Brittany Griner, then there's Ellie Mistal, who's a nutbag who appears on both the Joy Reid show and on the Tiffany Cross show. He went ripping Herschel Walker in Georgia, running for the Senate against the Reverend Raphael Warnock, the pro-choice pastor. The, uh, I think that whiteness is a genocide, so let's make sure all the blacks get abortions or something. I don't know. Fact check me. Anyway, Ellie Mistal discusses Herschel Walker. First of all, I just want to thank the GOP for nominating a running back from Dallas to run in Georgia and a TV doctor from New Jersey to run in Pennsylvania. Yes, he's having some fun with the Trump-nominated candidates. Obviously, Donald Trump's main thing was... Let's nominate stars. Let's nominate famous people. It doesn't matter whether they can debate. It doesn't matter whether people question which state they came from. Now, Herschel Walker's from Georgia. Ellie Mistel's just being cute. Yes, he also played running back in Minnesota. It doesn't mean he's from Minnesota any more than it means he's from Dallas. He also played football as a New Jersey general in the USFL. doesn't mean he's from New Jersey. Herschel Walker is not coming across as the latest incarnation of Clarence Thomas. Herschel Walker is trying not to debate. Herschel Walker doesn't even want to do the Eric Erickson show, which you would consider a pretty friendly venue for Republicans. One might even say, if you want to be mean, Herschel Walker's being hidden a lot like President Biden. He does about as many interviews as Kamala Harris. Oh, that would just be rude. But then, Ellie Mistel has to take it into a new dimension, which, of course, 
is that there the Republicans have House Negroes. I kid you not. Listen to this. Be a close election in Georgia because Walker is has the backing of the Republicans. Now you ask why are Republicans backing this man who's so clearly unintelligent, who so clearly doesn't have independent thoughts, but that's actually the reason. Walker's right. gonna do what he's told. And that's what Republicans like. That's what Republicans want from their Negroes to do what they're told. And Walker presents exactly as a person who lacks independent thoughts, lacks an independent agenda, lacks an independent ability to grasp policies. Yeah, I wonder how this applies to Senator Tim Scott. Republicans want their Negroes to do what they're told. Look, the fact of the matter is, at MSNBC, the blacks all have the same point of view. This is the irony of all of this. You know, it's daring to be a black Republican today. It is not at all challenging in today's society to be a black leftist, to be a black Lives Matter activist, to be a black liberal Democrat, to be a black liberal activist on CNN or MSNBC. That's not tough. Nobody should give them applause or, you know, standing ovations and handshakes for being daring or courageous. Now, Ellie Mistal basically suggested it wasn't Tim Scott he really wanted to make fun of alongside Herschel Walker. He lumped in Walker with uh, Tommy Tuberville, the Republican from Alabama, the football coach. So, you know, maybe Ellie Mistal just has this thing where he thinks football's for stupid people. He described the senator from Alabama as the dumbest person in the United States Senate. So the GOP likes these candidates that aren't able to kind of think for themselves because that just means, it basically means Mitch McConnell gets three votes every time he shows up to work as opposed to just his own. Yeah, some of us might try to say, Dear Ellie Mistal, have you really seen Maisie Hirono try to think for herself? Would that strike you as intellectual quality? But, you know, Ellie Mistal, this is a guy uh, who, who said the Constitution is actually trash. That's the MSNBC viewpoint. The Constitution is trash. And a majority of white people in this country are trash, so tweeted Ellie Mistal in 2020. A majority of white people are trash. Twitter didn't take that down. Nobody was, you know, too sensitive. Also, on Tiffany Cross's MSNBC show on Saturday morning, our Mark Finkelstein noted, Nyara Hawk, I'd pronounce it hack, just like I like to pronounce Garrett Hake hack. Yes, Nyara Hawk is a former Obama aide. And the topic was the imprisonment in Russia of WNBA superstar Brittany Griner. Nayara said this. Brittany Griner is a little different because she was a celebrity in Russia as well. Very high profile. And we know the only reason that she was in Russia is because she was not able to make equal pay here in the United States that uh, NBA stars would make. So that, that points to the disparity in American life in a way that we typically don't see when it comes to wartime hostages. Yeah, which is, is was terrifying. Nyara and Tiffany are wrong to criticize the lack of equal pay between WNBA and NBA players. 
rather than pointing to a problem in American life, you know, oh, sorry, not as many people watch women's basketball as watch men's basketball. Sorry, not as many people watch women's golf as men's golf. Not as many people watch women's tennis as men's tennis, whatever it is. This is the reality. And maybe not as many people watch women's softball or women's volleyball as much as other men's sports. I like sports enough that I watch a lot of this stuff. But, it, you know, the, the reality is, yes, Brittany Griner makes the maximum WNBA salary of $228,000 a year. You should know the Phoenix Mercury, she's not able to play this season because she's in prison, but the team is paying her salary while she's been held prisoner. You, you, you really can't say that somehow she needed a second job when she was making only $228,000 a year. That is not going to fly with the everyday American. And that's not all the money she has. Let's go back to an article in 2014 via therap.com. They wrote then, WNBA star Brittany Griner broke barriers when she became the first openly gay athlete to be endorsed by Nike. And on the eve of Saturday's National Coming Out Day, she discussed why her $1 million contract is opening doors for the LGBT sports community. Yes, so obviously there are endorsement deals. There's appearances to be made. There's, there's other ways for the number one star of the WNBA to make money. So let's hope Griner and the other less famous hostages in Russia and other countries are released, but let's not use it as just another way of complaining about sexism. That somehow, oh, women's sports don't have the same ratings juice as men's sports, but they should be paid exactly the same. That Brittany Griner should somehow get Steph Curry money. You know, it's sort of like saying that people who star on boring shows on PBS should make as much money as, you know, Stephen Colbert. <laughs> John Stewart made $30 million a year. It was way more than Samantha Bee ever got before she got canceled. Oh, poor Samantha Bee. Whatever is she going to do? You know, they may still have a market for really nasty left-wing commentary on the Canadian Broadcasting Company. Anywho, if you want to keep track with what's going on in the culture or in the news media or in politics, you come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for checking in. <laughs>